This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome in, everybody, to the Flagship Podcast. I am Chip Brown of Horns247.com, joined, as always, by our managing editor at Horns247, Taylor Estes. Taylor, how you doing? I'm doing well, Chip. How are you doing? Doing great. Hope you had a good uh, 4th of July. Hope everyone had a great 4th of July. Um, I mean, the hits keep on coming for Texas in terms of uh, recruiting, adding a 10th significant commitment uh, since Arch Manning has committed to the Longhorns. Um, this one on the defensive line, you always love the big fellas. So um, that continues to be just extends this amazing offseason that Steve Sarkeesian's having at Texas and college realignment. College realignment. It's oh, July. The, it has to come down, right? It's, it's <laughs> Annually. Last last July, Texas OU SEC. This July, everything is blowing up. <laughs> oh, yeah. The nonsensical geographic move of USC and UCLA to the Big Ten, effective in 2024, has now triggered mass chaos and a, and a basic tug of war between the Big 12 and the Pac-12 for survival Mm -hmm. because USC and UCLA obviously prime properties in the nation's, you know, second largest city. Um, You've got, you've got Oregon and Washington sitting out there and you've got two commissioners who are green as baby diapers and George Klyavkov and Brett Yormark, who's like not even on the job officially yeah, until August 1st. And he's having to jump in here and, and try to, you know, figure out what the big 12 is going to do. Could the, the big 12 and the PAC 12, the remaining members merge and form, you know, a 22 team super conference. What does that do? to the ACC, to Notre Dame. It's all playing out in front of our eyes. It's it's truly amazing because this is the biggest shift we've ever seen in realignment when you've got marquee programs like USC and UCLA willing to travel, you know, three time zones to New Jersey, Maryland, Happy Valley, Pennsylvania. I don't feel bad for football. Football can fly in on a charter on a Thursday or Friday, leave you know, middle of the night, Saturday or Sunday morning. I feel for volleyball, basketball, those sports that have the Tuesday night games and then are expected to be back in class on Wednesday morning. Are you kidding me? Flying all the way to New Jersey, which is what, a six plus hour flight? You're from Southern California, Taylor. I mean, 
Yeah, it's it's far. It's it's really. I mean, I've flown from California to New York, and that is not a trip I would really ever choose to take. I'll say that it's that long. Yeah, it's almost like flying to Europe from New York. Mm -hmm. But nonetheless, it's all about the money. It's all about the television. USC and UCLA want to be part of that Big Ten network money, and and the SEC uh, with. Texas and Oklahoma on the way uh, is also in position to to be a mega conference, one of the two super conferences who dictate basically the structure of college athletics for the next 10 to 20 years. So uh, it's truly an amazing time right now. I don't know if it's good or not. I, I keep hoping we're going to lead to something that puts geographic sense back into college athletics because I really worry about all of our history and traditions and rivalries getting just completely obliterated anytime massive realignment like this happens. But man, we're headed to something. I don't know what it is, but it's it's bonkers. And I, I feel for those USC and UCLA student athletes Maybe they could get some frequent flyer miles out of this, Taylor. Yeah, no, I was going to say that. I mean, football, let's be honest, if you – I would be shocked if there are many, if any, football players um, at Power 5 schools that have school on Fridays even. I mean, it's it's a travel day. They usually get their schoolwork. If they even go to classes on campus, they get it you know, done Monday through Thursday. So football is not the school. I totally agree with you, Chip. That That's not the, that's not the sport that – is really going to be heavily impacted in a negative way um, by this move with UCLA and USC going to the Big Ten. It's all of the other sports. And guess what? You can't just get rid of all of the other sports. Like Title IX is in place for a reason. Um, you know, there's a lot of um, Olympic sports that, especially on the West Coast, a lot more of those I feel like exist out there too. And then you wonder, another thing I wonder, Chip, you know, with Big Ten and with baseball, there's it's not the easiest geographical location of a lot of these schools to have baseball seasons in the spring. USC, a historic baseball program, um, UCLA still, I mean, there's tons of baseball players in uh, on the West Coast in Southern California. How is that going to be impacted too? That that's a huge question I'm curious about. And I haven't I haven't gone through and looked at every single Big Ten school, but I'm pretty sure there's a decent amount that don't have baseball programs, right? Yeah, a decent amount do, but a decent amount don't. And yeah. I wonder if if Troy Tulowitzki knew um, something like this was about to happen when he turned down USC because that would make sense. Obviously, their their facilities are lacking in baseball. USC, they're lacking in football, but yeah. Um, they're lacking in baseball, but you have to, you're the outlier. I mean, you're going again, you're going three time zones to play uh, a baseball or a baseball series. Let's we'll, 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 you know, conference, you're going to play a three game series, mm -hmm. but you're the one who's always doing all the traveling. And I, I get people are like, Oh, well they take bus rides that are three hours long. Okay. Well, Guess what? A charter that's six hours long, it's a lot. Yeah. Three time zones, trying to get adjusted to what the bleep time it is, wherever you are, 
it's a tough way to go for student athletes, but uh, football drives the train, football television money drives the train, and that's that's where we are, Taylor. So this is truly a stay tuned moment. I will say this: the Big Ten wants Notre Dame, has wanted Notre Dame for decades. Notre Dame it makes has the most geographic sense too, right? And look, Jim Delaney, the former Big Ten commissioner, started realignment that happened the realignment that happened in 2010. Um, when Nebraska and Colorado left the Big 12 and Nebraska joined the Big 10 and the Big 10 added Rutgers and Maryland. That all started in 2009 when Jim Delaney thought Notre Dame was vulnerable because they were terrible under Charlie Weiss. He thought their television contract with NBC was tenuous and, and announced that they were exploring all expansion options for the sole purpose of landing Notre Dame. Well, they didn't get them. They ended up with Rutgers and Maryland um, and Nebraska. But here we are again in 2022. And again, the Big Ten is going to wait for Notre Dame and see what they do. Notre Dame, of course, aligned full, full membership in the ACC, except for football and hockey. Um, you know, would Notre Dame possibly jump to the Big Ten? If so, I'm hearing the Big Ten would add Notre Dame and Stanford and stop. They would not look to add um, Oregon or Washington. Remember, the Big Ten's all about academics and who's a part of the, um, you know, um, American Association of Research Universities. And, and so where do Oregon and Washington go? All of that is yet to play out. We won't waste your time. You can you can listen to any number of uh, radio shows, uh, but we will definitely keep you up to date at horns247.com. Um, Taylor, interesting that Steve Sarkeesian did a little interview on a new football show called Always College Football with former Alabama quarterback Greg McElroy uh, this week. And Sarkeesian talked about year one growing pains and i gotta say he talked about a, a, a few things you can check out that story over at horns247.com but he also talked about his recruiting pitch of course greg mcelroy asked him about that when you've mm-hmm. got um arch manning committed you got um you know just a parade of significant commitments since arch manning committed including um sadir mitchell the 335 pound four-star defensive lineman the latest late addition too mind you i mean every every pick was going in georgia's favor and then all of a sudden 11th hour texas comes in and whoop swipes them away it's crazy yeah, and you you got to have those big guys that can anchor the line and move and sadir mitchell looks like he can do that remember georgia's team last year with the big fellas uh anchoring the middle of the defensive line gary patterson's told me if you have a nose tackle who is quick uh, and can, you know, just control the middle of an offensive line by commanding double teams on every play, splitting double teams and making plays, you're a, you're a complete defense almost immediately, which is just astounding how important that position is. We'll see uh, with Sadir Mitchell, but, you know, with Keandre Coburn moving on uh, to Andre Sweat, uh, you know, you got to have the next guy and it looks like it's going to be, uh, Sadir Mitchell. So uh, 
Greg McElroy asked Steve Sarkeesian about that. And, you know, they talked about Alabama. Mm -hmm. Of course they talked about Alabama. They even talked about the 2009 national championship game. Um, and if, if Texas, you know, would have won it, if Colt McCoy hadn't gotten in, uh, injured, we'll, we'll, we'll get to that. But Taylor, the, the thing that stood out to me from Steve Sarkeesian is, you know, in talking about the five and seven year one at Texas, he said, uh, that Pete Carroll, he said he was a member of Pete Carroll's first staff at USC and Carroll told him we can do it one of two ways. We can keep it as close to what the previous coach was doing so that there's uh, as easy a transition as possible for the for the holdover players or you can start installing everything that you're going to do, uh, you know, installing your offense, your defense, your culture. And Steve Sarkeesian uh, said that they opted for for the latter mm -hmm. and that with that comes growing pains, uh, warts getting exposed. And of course, he mentioned that Pete Carroll went six and six in year one at USC and that his other mentor, Nick Saban, uh, went seven and six in year one at Alabama. And of course, after that, both coaches went on to win national championships. Um, Nick Saban, uh, six national championships at Alabama now. Um, but what do you think about that? I mean, it's a nice, it, it sounds good. And of course he talked about how well things took off for both of those programs after year one. Um, what do you think about Steve Sarkeesian's, um, comparisons of his year one to Pete Carroll and Nick Saban? I mean, it doesn't surprise me, Chip, I think. And and I'm not saying that it's like not surprising in a negative way or anything. I think it's a real situation. I think anytime, you know, when a new head coach comes in and takes over a football program, there's going to be growing pains regardless if it's Nick Saban, Pete Carroll, um, you know, Sonny Dykes, Joey McGuire, whoever it may, Brent Venables, whoever it may be. If the, the thing that you can almost every single time expect is some sort of transition year, you know, and it doesn't matter what type of coach you are. It doesn't matter who you are as a coach. You just kind of have to ex explain that or um, expect that a little bit. Obviously some people may look at these comments and think that he's excusing, you know, his, his first season. I don't take it that way in the slightest. I think it's a very true and honest answer. And, you know, he did say, I, I think one thing that is important to point out, he said, you don't like the growing pains and the tough, and the tough losses and learning how to win. But in the end, we will be better for it. And I feel like we already are. And that's what you hope for. And honestly, I think you've kind of seen it some that this off season that Texas seems to be in a more um, team mentality type from top to bottom inside the program. You know, a lot of times, you know, behind the scenes, Chip, you and I know this a lot of times, especially when there's a first year, you know, coaching change, we hear a lot of the the negatives, you know, of things, the the complaints, the just issues going on inside the locker room um, when they're trying to instill culture. We've seen it, honestly, with every single head coach since Mac Brown took over at Texas, at least in my career, there's always those those type of things. And a lot of times you hear them after year one. With Charlie Strong, we heard some after year one. Tom Herman, we heard it all four years that he was coaching at Texas, but I haven't really been hearing a lot of the gripes and anything like that after last season. We heard it a lot 
um, you know, last year. And obviously the roster turnover shows that there were some players that probably didn't want to be at Texas or maybe Steve Sarkeesian and his staff didn't want them at Texas and they're not there anymore. However, I just feel like this offseason feels a lot different from the behind the behind closed doors type of commentary that I'm hearing from sources that are close to players and close to coaches and inside the program. It's it's totally different. And I think that's what you want to hope for that type of change to not just like show up in the offseason, but to be reflected on the field. And I think Texas is setting itself up for that to be the case. Now it'll change once adversity strikes. We'll see, you know, uh, a poor quarter, maybe things will go back to the, here we go again. I, I just kind of think that um, there's been a lot of positive momentum, not just from a recruiting, you know, external appeal from Texas, but I think internally too, um, with a lot of people being more on board in year two of Steve Sarkeesian's time at Texas. What, what's your take, Chip? Yeah, I mean, I, the thing that I want to see this year that's going to tell me if this program is ready for liftoff or not is how physical the mm -hmm. team is. Because I thought the team took a step back last year. I thought they were a more physical team under Tom Herman than they were last year under Steve Sarkeesian. And and that's that's critical. I mean, yeah. You've got it. That's a mentality that is ingrained from the head coach in the way that they practice. You know, Tom, Her Tom Herman always did, um, you know, the bull in the ring, um, you know, where he calls two players to go head to head and the whole team gathers around the whatever you call it, Oklahoma drill. Everyone yeah. has a different name for it. But uh, that one on one, it kept players on edge because they never knew who was going to get called to get in that bull in the ring and, you know, just stuff like that sets a tone physically uh, for the football team. And, and let's see if this football team is more physical this year, because we can talk all day about b bad apples. Um, some of those warts had to be um, gotten rid of uh, needed to get my players in. But if you're not a physical football team like Mike Gundy's team was last year or like Oklahoma's been, uh, especially now that Brent Venables is back, they're doing they're doing the bull in the ring. They're already talking about it um, and they're not even in pads yet. Uh, you know, it's that's what I want to see. I want to see. I, it, look, the team needs to be close. They got to be close. They got to be able to come through adversity with that. Um, I can trust my brother mentality and lean on each other and 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 pull each other through that that stick to itiveness that closeness but they got to be physical they got to be physical yeah. on both lines and with all this talent coming in in 2023 and even the offensive and defensive linemen who came in this year in the 2022 class those guys got to be trained up from the beginning to be physical monsters and to impose their will on other players. And we'll see, look, John Makovic, the knock on him was his, his defenses weren't that physical, but you know, he had Casey Hampton, he had, you know, Tony Brackens, that kind of thing. The players, you know, pulled it out of each other, whatever it takes, this football team has got to be more physical Taylor. Yeah. And I think that the staff is, I don't think that the staff is not, trying to instill it either. I mean, especially when I look at the offensive line and defensive line coaches, I mean, you know, Kyle Flood knows how to 
you know, get the most out of guys. And obviously he has been coming from Alabama. He had, you know, some of the best players to get the most out of already at his disposal, but he didn't always have that. He didn't have that at Rutgers and he's been a really successful um, developer of offensive line talent. So I have no doubt that he will be able to get it out of the guys. I think that his issue in year one, he just didn't have the guys to get it out of. I mean, let's just call it what it is. I think that the lack of, dog mentality has been a problem um, or was a problem for Texas last year. It's been a problem for the offensive line, especially. Um, and then Bo Davis, I mean, his track record speaks from for itself too. I mean, he, this is a second stint at Texas and I feel like he's developed a lot of, not even just at Texas, but you know, other places that he's been several just mean guys that, that you don't want to meet in the trenches. You don't want to meet in a back alley, you know, type of thing. And so I think the staff, at least the line, the two, line coaches, I feel like know how to do it. They just may be lacking some of the guys that have that type of fire inside of them. That's why you have to give them a little bit more time to get those guys on campus and actually be able to coach them. And, um, you know, I, I just feel like I think I think they have the right people in in place to bring that out of the guys. They just got to find those guys. And I think that if you're an upperclassman right now on the Texas roster, especially on the defensive line, you better hope that you know, even if you're a junior, you better hope that you can pull that out of yourself because they're going to be able to bring in good recruits. Steve Sarkeesian said in his interview with Greg, Greg McElroy himself that great players want to play with other great players in a program where they feel that they can get developed. And I think that this staff has proven their development. So if these guys, the ones that maybe, you know, just kind of coasting along, been on campus for several years, but really haven't taken that next step, this should be a wake-up call. And, uh, you know, unless you want to get you know, over over play or taken out of the game for a freshman. I wouldn't if I were if I had pride. I I would not want that. So yeah, I think that this is. I mean, there's there's you know obviously a lot of ifs in what I just said, but I do think at the end of the day, those two coaches are the ones that'll get that type of mentality from guys. Yeah, yeah that that that's the recruiting pitch, and um, of course, Greg McElroy, former. Alabama quarterback. He was on the field for Alabama in that 2009 national championship game against Texas, brought up the meeting between the Longhorns and the Crimson Tide in Austin on September 10th. And when Steve Sarkeesian responded to this question, he pointed out that Alabama is a quote veteran team and we are not. He said 57 of our, um, you know, scholarship 85, our freshmen and sophomores, and we just brought in 35 new players, seven transfers, 28 high school signees. And, you know, and then he went on to talk about how they're going to have to be super focused and execute the game plan perfectly to have a chance in the fourth quarter. But that that's an important note. I mean, Taylor, all the people picking Texas or saying Texas should win, you know, nine or more games or be in the mix for the Big 12 title. Okay. But you turned over 40% of your roster, more than 40% of your roster. So these coaches are going to have to get these guys coached up in a hurry. And that's, it's a lot to ask. That's why this feels a little bit like a transition year while you get your quarterback figured out you don't even know who your starting quarterback is right now everybody has their own opinion about it but Steve Sarkeesian hasn't announced who his 
starting quarterback is. Yeah, he's got wildly talented skill players. Um, the best wide receiver group on paper we've seen at Texas in a long time. Um, certainly since, you know, Devin Duvernay and, and little Jordan Humphrey and, um, you know, Colin Johnson and, and all that. But, you know, this is, a again, 57 freshmen, sophomores of your scholarship, 85. So, um, you know, this is a young team taking on a veteran team. Yeah, it is. It's, it's almost like, you know, a minor league team facing a major league team a little bit. I mean, and, and, and what Steve Sarkeesian and staff are trying to do at Texas is what he learned from Nick Saban at Alabama. The, unfortunately for Texas fans, you can't just snap your fingers and have that happen overnight. And I think, you know, I, I mean, Chip, I think the one thing when you, when Steve Sarkeesian is saying this, you know, 57 of the players, a scholarship players that he has are underclassmen, you know, freshmen or sophomores. Um, it kind of coincides a little bit with even what Chris Del Conte said in his letter late last football season, essentially a letter to Longhorn Nation, just throwing it out there about the actual facts of the matter that have led to Texas being in a dire need of talent situation. You know, the Longhorns had really good signing classes, but the retention of keeping those top signees on campus, they were awful. I mean, terrible, terrible at a lot of the top guys either left early when they shouldn't have, or they transferred. And so, you know, um, you right. Signees in like 2017, 2018. Yeah. 2019, mainly the 2018, 2019 classes. I think those were the, the really detrimental ones. Cause those were big, you know, number three ranked signing classes in the country. Um, a lot of skill talent, but Again, without any of the line, the you know big guys that those classes look great on paper, but that's really all that they turned out to look great at is on paper. And that's saying the guys that even stuck around, we're not even, you know, I mean, there there's a lot of guys on that that were there that even you know B.J. Foster, for instance, former five star, he transfers to Sam Houston State, I think. I mean, if you want yep. to talk about just and you know the misses, I would say that Texas has had in not just recruiting, but then developing and keeping guys on campus have been substantial, which led to Chris Del Conte putting that letter out to Longhorn Nation. And I think it's important for Sark to kind of remind people that, hey, yeah, we're getting new guys on campus. We're getting this. But remember, they're freshmen and sophomores. And I know fans, some people are going to read that probably again, thinking it's an excuse of some sort. I think it's the reality. And I think Sark needs to hit home on that reality any chance he can get this offseason especially with the schedule they have. Cause I, I really think this big 12, um, you know, conference this season chip could be a lot better than a lot of people are expecting it to be. And I think that the schedule that come the end of the season, the schedule that Texas is going to be going through is not going to be any cupcake type of schedule in any way, shape or form. That's just my prediction right now. Yeah, I agree. And I think we're going to be at big 12 football media days next week in Dallas and we'll get a, a look at the new look of Oklahoma under Brent Venables with, um, you know, Sonny Dykes at TCU and Joey McGuire. Now the head coach at Texas tech. And those are two programs, um, Texas tech and TCU who have a lot of talent returning. Mm -hmm. And, and even though they didn't have the years they wanted last year, they, you know, they were projected to be, um, you know, 
good teams in 2022 before uh, the coaching changes. So those are teams you got to keep an eye on. And and K-State, K-State, you know, they return uh, a lot of guys up front and teams that return talent up front on the offensive and defensive lines, you got to watch out for. Plus, they bring in Adrian Martinez from Nebraska who can beat you with his with his arms and his legs and Deuce Vaughn, all that. And, and where does Texas play on the road this year at K state at Oklahoma state. And again, I've said it before. I'll say it again. Anyone who doubts Mike Gundy's ability to reload, even with a new defensive coordinator uh, is foolish because Gundy's got a great culture there in Stillwater. His teams are always tough. They're physical and, and they, they play really hard for him. So this is, this is a tricky schedule for Texas. And even that opener at Texas Tech, Joey McGuire's like, you know, this ball of energy. And, you know, he's got he's got guys that he believes in there. He's got some interesting quarterback options with Donovan Smith and Tyler Shuck. Um, and so, and they've got a good stable of running backs, some good guys on the offensive line coming back. I mean, this is not going to be, if you, if you sleep for a second, um, you're going to get beat. So yeah. this is this is going to be an interesting year for Texas. We'll see how they can can grow up. Uh, by the way, the representatives for Texas at Big 12 Football Media Days next week: Roshan Johnson, Bijan Robinson, Demarvian Overshawn, and Ovi Agofu. So no surprise that if you if you've been following along, reading the Insider at horns247.com where UT insiders come to eat, you know that um, Bijan Robinson and Roshan Johnson, probably Roshan Johnson and then Bijan Robinson have probably been the two most vocal leaders of this football team, um, you know, for the last two years, but really this off season and, and to Marvin Overshawn too, wrote about him last week and how he's, really taking the lead vocally in, in leading that defense. So Ovia Gofu is an interesting selection because he's a guy who was up and down last year. Texas desperate to find a pass rusher off the edge um, on par with Joseph Osai, who left a couple years ago. They've got to find that guy. They did not land Oshan Mathis from TCU. So they're looking at Ovia Gofu as a guy um, and, and Taylor, I'm, I'm just going to say it now, keep an eye on justice Finkley, the freshman, my son of all people who doesn't even really pay attention to college football showed me a social media feed from justice Finkley, where he created a sort of, you know, fictional conversation with Nick Saban, uh, and, and basically was like, here we, here we come. So, um, I like that confidence and Justice Finkley's put together like a third year player. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, there's gonna be it's gonna be an interesting football season. One one I wanna say about the Big Twelve too is I, I think West Virginia is gonna be a lot better than they're advertised with JT Daniels coming in, you know, former USC and Georgia. And yeah, working with Graham Harrell, his former offensive coordinator from when he was at USC. I I think I don't know that that's a game that that in K state are two of those games where they, it could be a coin flip, but if Texas goes in, even with their head down they they could get punched in the mouth real, real quick. I think by those teams, I, I don't think either of those teams are getting the credit that they deserve right now, personally. Yeah. I mean, West Virginia 
fortunately for Texas, is at home. But right. they almost lost that game two years ago. They lost uh, they last needed, year, too. <laughs> they needed a couple of pass breakups in the end zone when uh, Neil Brown went for touchdowns instead of field goals. Um, of course, hindsight's twenty twenty. If he had kicked the field goals, he probably would have been in overtime or had a better chance to beat Texas uh, in Tom Herman's final year. But um, we will – We'll move on. As as you know, if you are a loyal listener to the flagship podcast, we are in our position ranking countdown, and we're now uh, in the top five. All right, so we have counted down already. Uh, we're counting down from 10 to 1. So it started with the offensive line at 10, special teams at 9, um, safety at 8, cornerback at seven tight ends at six linebackers at five and we are now at uh position ranking number four taylor and it is the defensive line now it's funny because we thought the defensive line was going to be a strength last year and it wasn't and in fact it was a, a detriment and this was one of the biggest disappointments of the 2021 season because you've got a lot of talent on that defensive line um you've got um you know we mentioned uh keandre coburn and tavandre sweat probably the best of the defensive tackles is byron murphy who's uh, you know now um you know a guy who's gonna be contending for big time playing time even though coburn and sweat are are veteran upperclassmen um and alfred collins Alfred Collins, the guy, five-star, well, four-star, whatever. He was a highly sought uh, defensive lineman, and he's just a freak. I mean, you don't have the kind of measurables he has, the 6'5 frame. He's actually lost some weight. He's down to, like, 292. He was up at 305, um, you know, when he got to Texas and in, in his first season. And he's got that long arm um, – ability to to keep offensive linemen at, at bay and get their hands off of him. But we've been waiting. We've been waiting. We saw flashes from from Alfred Collins in that Alamo Bowl game two years ago. Then we thought, oh, man, he's going to blow up in 2021. He didn't. Um, some of that is obviously the change in coaching and changing the scheme. You can't keep changing the scheme on players because it takes a while for them to adjust to the new scheme. We're hearing again, if you read the insider last week that Alfred Collins, it appears the lights going on for him uh, in, in this, you know, Pete Kwiatkowski scheme. If it is, he and Byron Murphy could, uh, could help anchor this defensive line, no matter what Keandre Coburn and Tavandre sweat do Taylor, but uh, defensive line, in our position rankings at number four. Yeah, I think that with Alfred Collins, Chip, it, you're just waiting for the light bulb to stay on. Not stay just on. come on, to stay on. Yeah, because you saw it come on, as you mentioned, in that Alamo Bowl in 2020. And it really just set, I think, very high expectations for a lot of people, not just fans. or And they weren't unreasonable expectations. I just think that a lot of people expected the – the that type of you know performance to continue on the field you bring up a good point though this is 
the outcome of what happens when you consistently change coordinators and change schemes and change coaches. It's the definition of crazy that Texas has been. It's like this merry-go-round of freaking insanity that people think like, let's keep doing the same thing. It's going to pay off one of these times is not for Texas, but that that's a prime example. I mean, Alfred Collins, what is he? Is he going to be, I'm trying to see a red shirt. He's a junior. Okay. So is he a, so a true junior, right? Yeah. Yeah. Cause he was a true freshman in 2020. Right. Right. So he'll be draft yeah. eligible after this season. And one of the, you know, sources I talked to said he seems to realize it's a contract year for him. Yeah. So, and, and that, yeah. And you have to think though, too. I mean, he had arguably not even arguably the best performance of his college career in that Alamo bowl. That was already a shortened season, but he, in the last game of the season, he started to click with the scheme and everything that was being asked of him in that scheme. Well, then it all changed. It was like setting re a reset button basically for him. Um, you know, having a true freshman and starting to kind of come on in 2020 and then all of it changing in 2021, that that can you know really um, hinder a guy's development. You hope to see it continue to show on the field this year with him, you know, in the second year in Pete Kwiatkowski's scheme. Now that he kind of has a familiarity familiarity with Bo Davis as a coach too, but he's a guy that I, I just I think it's good to hear that he's viewing this as a contract year because I think a lot of people that that follow Texas are also viewing this as a okay Alfred like. You gave us a teaser. Are you going to just leave that one teaser and then leave us like, you know, wanting more? Or are you actually going to show it, you know, play in and play out? And I, I, I think as good as he can be, that is how good the defensive line can be this year. Yeah. I mean, he's, he is, uh, he is what they play with in the NFL. I mean, yeah. that his measurables are what they play with in the NFL. And look, you can, you can put it all together in one season and put up crazy numbers and let's see if these Texas coaches have figured out how best to use him. And, um, and if Alfred Collins can put it together, play in and play out, like we said, have the light stay on to where he's a guy that the other team has to account for on every single play. That's, that's when you've become a disruptive force and a game changer. And it's time. It's time. He's talented enough. He's got he's got the tools. And then Taylor, when we talk about the defensive line from a defensive end position, Baron Sorrell is a guy you have to keep an eye on because this guy has just put in the work. He you saw a little flash of him last year uh, in his first year on the field, but as a sophomore in 2022, and again another long bodied defensive end with a, a desire to be a great player. And so uh, number 88 in your program, Baron Sorrell is a guy you have to keep an eye on. And then Justice Finkley, mm -hmm. number one, we talk about defensive linemen who wear number one. You got to be a bad A. You got to be a bad man with a whole bunch of dog in you. And if you're making social media posts with a mock conversation with Nick Saban, <laughs> like showing pictures from your Alabama recruiting trip and then showing yourself all decked out in Texas gear. Um, man, you got some swag. So I am hoping, and we're not, we haven't even talked about Jamon Tapp, a guy I cannot wait to see who arrived in June 
a freshman edge rusher. So the best may be in that group of 57, Taylor, those, those underclassmen when it comes to the edge rush. But, you know, we're kind of giving them the benefit of the doubt here based on Byron Murphy, Alfred Collins, Tavondre Sweat, and, and Keandre Coburn, guys who've been around. Now they'll be in the second year of this coaching scheme and expecting them to take a big old jump because, you know, we had Michael Griffin on, we've had Fozzie Whitaker on, we've talked about where they see some of these positions and they're like, defensive line that high? Heck no. But, you know, there's there's something to be said for year two in a scheme. Yeah, there is. And and I think <laughs> I think I kind of fell in line like deep, putting defensive line number four kind of gives me pause a little bit just because we that was, you know, the group that everyone was talking about leading up to the 2021 season. And I, I'll never forget there was a point in spring practice when we were waiting for I think it was Sark after practice and there was a group of us um, media members that cover Texas sitting in the room waiting. And one of them asked, Hey, remember how we were all talking up the defensive line last year? Who was the sack leader? And there was a, remember this chip, there was a group yeah. of like a half a dozen of us and we're sitting there. And I think I was the one that said, I was like, was it Ben Davis? They're like, ben yeah, Davis, Ben Davis. Like, Oh my gosh. <laughs> like To think that way, Ben Davis didn't even start all season. He still led them in sacks. So just the fact that last offseason was such a miss just from a the the hype not you know panning out on the field or not playing out in the field does give me pause to put them in the top five but they do have a lot of talent and potential there i also think it wouldn't be fair to count out ovia gofu either when we're talking about the edge you know an edge rusher because Obviously, I mean, I know he's an upperclassman, but Steve Sarkeesian is bringing him to Big 12 Media Days for a reason. He chose him over Keandre, Keandre Coburn, who was there last year. You know, I mean, and I don't think it was necessarily just to get a new guy because B. John Robinson was there last year and he's returning this year. So I do think that um, obviously the staff sees something in Ovia Gofu, whether it's from a leadership standpoint or what. But I, I want to see him. I think it, I think it will be very beneficial for Texas if you see him be a guy that really takes that next step. Because there were a lot of times last football season where when a play was being made, he was in the vicinity. He wasn't always the guy that was the initiating contact or anything, but he always seemed to be kind of a ball hawk. He was always around plays being made. I want to see him making more of those plays, but I do think that his football IQ and you know, something with him obviously has resonated within the coaching staff and inside the program if they're willing to have him represent Texas at Big 12 Media Days. I also think that's a big um, thing to bring him along too, considering he was a transfer. You know, uh, I, I feel like there's not very frequent situations where, you know, especially if it's like a defense alignment transfers in, they then have them represent a school at, you know, conference media days. I, I can't recall that really happening any time recently, maybe a quarterback or something, but like a D lineman, that to me says, you know, that they, there's something that they see in Ovia Gofu. So I don't want to count him out. I think that he also needs to be a guy that really takes that next step because he for sure is in a contract year this year. Yeah. Yeah. And there were times, like you said, Ovia Gofu was in the, in the vicinity and he would either over pursue and it would leave too big of a gap um, inside for a, a play to squirt. And he's just got to, he's just got to clean that stuff up 
and 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 be more physical uh, and you know push his man into the gap so that there's nowhere to go mm-hmm. and and we'll see we'll see this this needs to this defensive line has the talent needs to take a big leap and we're also um, or at least I'm buying Justice Finkley um, I hope he can live up to the hype uh, wearing that number one but you know he's gotten a lot of praise from teammates after going through the spring so physical player physical player looks looks you know this is what we talk about when you bring in new blood they haven't been in the losing they haven't been in the oh no here we go again mindset they're ready to rumble and you need enough of those guys to turn it to where um you know when adversity strikes they're like let's go let's get in this fight and not be like oh man i'm so sick of this and we're gonna lose again so let's see if if justice finkley is um one of those guys who can help turn it because man he's put together physical player all right taylor that is position ranking number four in our countdown position ranking number three quarterback oh yeah the glamour position you got <laughs> Quinn. you've been waiting to hear us talk about it right <laughs> oh yeah here we go you got quinn ewers the mullet ranked number one the number one recruiting prospect in the 2021 class because he reclassified um and ended up leaving high school early to go to ohio state so he comes into texas as a redshirt freshman and you know all the recruiting analysis shows this guy can do it all and of course you've got hudson cart four-star quarterback who's in his second year in steve sarkeesian's offense which should have given him uh an advantage at least you know going into spring we'll see how much of an advantage it is now that quinn ewers has had the summer to also get more familiar with Steve Sarkeesian's offense, but I will say this, Taylor, um, you know, Hudson Card is in the exact same position um, that you had uh, Casey Thompson in a year ago. And, um, you know, everyone was kind of looking past Casey Thompson to Hudson Card and anointing him. Now everyone's looking past Hudson Card to Quinn Ewers and anointing Ewers and we'll see if Hudson Card has been able to uh, grow in terms of pocket presence, his comfortability with the offense, and his ability to move the chains. Because last year, it was up and down, totally erratic. You never knew what you were getting from Hudson Card. He showed great flashes. Um, but then, you know, he comes into the Kansas game and throws uh, – you know, fumbles the ball and throws a pick six in in a critical point in the game when Steve Sarkeesian was rotating quarterbacks. I wasn't quite sure what was going on there, but Hudson Cards got experience, um, and we'll see if that translates. My biggest thing with Hudson Card is between the ears. Does he have that moxie, that swag? Because when things went wrong last year, he went to the bench and put his head down. Bijan Robinson had to go over and tell him, "Dude, you got to be up. You got to be telling everyone it's okay. You got to be telling everyone we'll we'll come right back 
after a mistake. You can't be sitting over there sulking. And so can Hudson Card grow up? Because we know Quinn Ewers, from the last time he started, it was that uh, 2020 state championship game where he comes off double hernia surgery, uh, comes back sooner than the doctors wanted him to play, helps lead a, a South Lake Carroll team that was ranked 21st in the rankings, wasn't even supposed to be in the state championship game, leads them there a year early against Westlake. They lost, but you know that was that was Quinn Ewers' last start as a quarterback. So. And, and he was turning it over a lot, Taylor, in the spring, Quinn Ewers. Threw a lot of interceptions, a lot more than Hudson Card. That that has to be cleaned up. Steve Sarkeesian won't put up with that. No, yeah. and But, I mean, you kind of expect that a little bit because we I, – I know people are probably tired of me saying this, but we can call Quinn Ewers a redshirt freshman all we want. He, he's essentially a true freshman. I mean, yes, he went through a college – football season on a, you know, a power five roster, but he enrolled, you know, right before the season started at Ohio state last year, after he reclassified, um, you know, I mean, he should have just been going to Texas essentially as coming out of high school this winter, but obviously that changed. And that actually ends up working probably better in Texas favor. Um, you know, assuming Quinn Ewers does kind of have the type of career people are, projecting him to have and then have Arch Manning coming in too. The fact when Ewers actually reclassified is probably um, helps Texas even more land Arch Manning than if Quinn Ewers was a true freshman going into the 2022 season. But, you know, I think you have to expect some growing pains from um, him regardless. And honestly, even if Hudson Card is the starter this year, Chip, there's still going to be growing pains. I mean, that, that we're talking about two guys that have between the two of them less than a half a dozen, you know, college starts in in their career i mean that's and they're playing a, a tough schedule too so um you know there, there's going to be ups and downs you especially i think expected it from um quinn ewers in spring just because at all things considered you know learning a new um offense just really going through his first spring practice as a college student since he didn't go through that at ohio state in 2021 i mean everything was new to him you want to see him take that next step, but I'm, I'm curious to get your take on this, Chip. My thought is if Texas, if Hudson Card wins the job, the starting job, and he say he starts the season, then eventually Quinn Ewers takes over. I think that's the best case scenario personally for Texas because what I would be a little concerned about is throwing Quinn Ewers out there against Alabama week two. I mean – you were, you know, talking about the differences between their, you know, Alabama and Texas roster. If my comparison is that's like a minor league team playing a major league team, then do you want your quote redshirt freshman who really will be more of a true freshman at that point? Do you want to throw him to the wolves? I, I don't know if I would. I, I think that, I mean, if, if he's toe to toe with Hudson card, I think you go with Quinn Ewers, but if Hudson cards, has a little bit of an edge. I don't think it's a bad thing if he starts at least at the beginning of the season, but I'm curious for your take on that. Yeah, it's going to come down to who can read defenses better because Alabama is going to throw, I mean, they've got a veteran defense led by Will Anderson, the number one defensive player in the country last year. This guy was in the Heisman mix uh, and his teammate Bryce Young at quarterback wins the Heisman, but Will Anderson 
uh, is a monster. And they're going to be able to throw everything at these Texas quarterbacks who don't have, um, you know, I mean, Quinn Ewers does not have a college start. Hudson Card has two. And, and so, you know, this is going to come down to who gives Steve Sarkeesian the best impression in terms of being able to read defense and avoid the big mistake because look a, a punt is better than a turnover and if Quinn Ewers is truly a Brett Favre starter kit who might be a little desperate to make the big play and maybe think his arm can squeeze it in there that can go either really well or really badly. I mean, um, you don't want to get on the wrong side of a turnover avalanche against Alabama at home because that can turn into a three-touchdown, four-touchdown, five-touchdown blowout. So I agree with you. I mean, I that, that was my philosophy last year, that you start the season with Casey Thompson, the guy who's got more experience reading defenses, whatever, and then see if Hudson Card can beat him out have Casey Thompson go to Arkansas into that, you know, that cauldron. You knew it was going to be a really hostile atmosphere. Um, didn't work out that way because Steve Sarkeesian felt like Hudson Card gave them the best chance to win. And then it flipped and Casey Thompson ends up starting the last 10 games of the season. This is why Steve Sarkeesian makes the big bucks. I mean, he is, we've talked about it. Texas hired him because they thought he was a offensive mind quarterback developer on par with Lincoln Riley and could challenge uh, Oklahoma for big 12 titles. Steve Sarkeesian is now starting to bring in the kind of quarterback talent that Lincoln Riley was bringing in to Oklahoma. So let's see what it looks like in year two, because it's ultimately going to come down to who does Steve Sarkeesian feel like has a better feel for his own offense and the ability to anticipate what the defense is doing or, you know, can you tell if they're in man or zone? Can you read your keys and make process information like that and get the ball out and get it to the right guy? So um, to me, it's fascinating because we, we have a real quarterback um, competition, whatever, on our hands. And and Steve Sarkeesian has said, look, we need them all. It's not, don't, don't, if you're a fan, don't pick one over the other. Just cheer, cheer for them both. Hope someone yeah. can read defense when they show up against Alabama on September 10th. That's where I always think it's so funny, especially just last year. Cause I feel like, I, I think I just kind of forgot how fans can be when there's a quarterback competition since Texas had, you know, Sam Ellinger starting for, you know, a number of years in a row. Um, but it it still just blew my mind that it was like people were diehard set on either Hudson Card or Casey Thompson last year. And it's kind of like, are, are y'all like related to them? Like, why? what is this like obsession over one guy versus the other? It's like the best case scenario is for both of them to be good, you know? And it's like, and who, okay, if, if you're, if you thought, if you were the Hudson, you know, Card bandwagon driver of that you know train or whatever and Casey Thompson was better then flip it like are you a fan of the team or are you a fan of the quarterbacks because it, it doesn't make sense to me I mean even if you know there were times last season 
where if you commented about Casey Thompson throwing an interception, it was like, oh, you've always hated Casey. And it's like, no, I just saw him throw a really bad interception. Like <laughs> acknowledging, calling a spade a spade it does not mean I hate somebody. It means that was a bad play. And, you know, it's just so fascinating to me. And I think you're right. If you're a Texas fan, your your hope should be that both of these guys are just absolutely battling it out because competition breeds excellence, honestly. And that that's what Texas, Texas has been really lacking that elite competition across the board at various positions dating back to the golden years, you know, when Texas was winning 10 games um, a year under Mac Brown. I mean, the, did you see, you know, anybody just like be anointed a position start? No, they earned it because there was, and they earned it against some of the best talent. That's what you hope for if you're a Texas fan. And if, if it's Hudson card, then that means that he did something good this offseason, and you probably want to give them the chance to see what he can do on the field if Steve Sarkeesian goes with him. If it's Quinn Ewers, then let's see what he can do. But the whole the whole thing where fans like really just get hung up on one guy or the other, I don't get it. It doesn't make any sense to me. If anybody can logically explain this to me, I would love to hear a logical explanation. Um, otherwise, I just think it's like, are these trolls other family members of Hudson Carter? You know what I mean? Like just really trying to stir the pot. I don't know. I mean, it's wild to me. Best case scenario to me, Chip, is that both these guys uh, really battle it out and, and continue to battle out and make it a difficult decision for Steve Sarkeesian because they're playing so well, not because they're average going toe-to-toe -to -toe with each other. In fall yeah. I mean, think back to 2003 when Vince Young gets benched for chance mock against texas tech and chance mock leads the team uh to victory you know vince was struggling chance mock comes in um you know throws a beautiful touchdown to bj johnson texas wins the game you got to have guys or at alabama nick saban benched jalen hurts in the national championship game for tua tonga vailoa tua tonga vailoa throws an amazing touchdown to Devonte smith and they win the national championship. You got to have two super talented quarterbacks. The elite programs have two. And if Texas wants to be an elite program again, they're going to have to have two at least. And I can't wait to see Malik Murphy develop because again, yeah. this guy's got the personality uh, of a Vince Young. Now I'm not saying he's got the talent of a Vince Young because I've never seen one like Vince Young um, before, or okay, maybe Tommy Frazier a little bit, but um, not since. So let's uh, let's see. It's going to be a lot of fun, and we certainly have a lot to report on at Horns247.com uh, as we go into fall camp. So, um, Taylor, good stuff. You ready for some love it or leave it? I am. Before we get to love it or leave it, we're going to take a really quick break, but stick around because we have more football talk and conference realignment talk coming up in love it or leave it. So stay tuned. We will be right back. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. 
I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Chip, let's uh, start with our first love it or leave it. You ready? I'm ready. All right. Love it or leave it. All the latest movement in college realignment makes you feel better about Texas joining the SEC. Um, you know, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say yes. I'm gonna I'm gonna say I love this because um, Texas is going to the SEC to be reunited with their good buddies Texas A&M, and they're taking Oklahoma with them. My biggest thing about realignment is the tradition and the rivalries getting destroyed. And none, none has been bigger than AM going to the SEC and not playing football against Texas. Uh, we can talk about Pitt in West Virginia um, not being, you know, in the same conference. And so the backyard brawl hasn't been happening on a regular basis, but none. Um, you know, is as big as Texas and AM coming apart. They talk about each other in their fight songs for crying out loud. So I for that reason alone, I feel um better about Texas joining the SEC as USC and UCLA now uh head off um to time zone hell in the in the Big Ten. And and look it this stuff, it's wild, it's crazy, it's fascinating, but at the end of the day, it's sad too because, um, man, the great thing about college football is the history. The history goes way further back than the NFL, um, which really the NFL didn't form. The actual NFL um, you know, didn't form until 1960 when it merged with the uh, AFL. But it, we just got to have – the rivalries, the tradition, the stuff that made us love college football because with NIL and the transfer portal and the lack of leadership coming from the governing structures of college football, it's a little scary right now. And and the casual fan is some of them are tuning out. They don't like this. They don't like that they're hearing college football be compared to pro football and that the student athletes are now professional when they've always been the farm system for the NFL. I've said that for years, they need to be paid something. Now you could have had it be under a much more manageable structure. Uh, if you, if you'd have done something like have the power five collectively bargain their media rights, those days are gone. Um, we're clearly headed to the sec and the big 10 um, running the show and whatever this, whatever college athletics is going to look like. But Yes, I will love this uh, simply because Texas is going to be in a conference with AM and Oklahoma. Taylor, how about you? I agree. I think that the the rivalries, the the traditions, all of that about what makes college football special is what you need to protect in college football. As you mentioned, you know, it's a good point, especially in modern day college football where these guys are pretty much 
one step away from already being professionals because they're earning money. I mean, that's how it's viewed, whether you you agree with that or not. A lot of people view it that way. Once you start earning money, you're a professional. And so, you know, I think that keeping those type of um, traditions and rivalries alive is what's going to keep college football really continue to be that, you know, amazing, amazing pageantry type of event every single weekend where you come together and want to just see your rivals get destroyed. I mean, it, it's different than NFL, it's different than any other type of uh, league, professional league of sports, in my opinion. And so I 100% agree with you. I think the best, you know, I, it's, it's very unfortunate for some of the schools that are kind of being left in the dust. And it's really unfortunate for them like the USC and UCLA side of things for the non-football sports that are going to be impacted by this move. But the good thing is at least UCLA and USC are going together. You know, those are two historic rivals on the West Coast. You want to see them together just as you want to see Texas and Oklahoma play each other, just as I've been wanting to see at least Texas and Texas A&M back playing each other. And the fact that, you know, Texas is able to not just hold on to its main rival in Oklahoma, you know, kind of going together as a package deal, but then also reigniting that on-field rivalry with Texas A&M, regardless of how many times it's played, you know, whether it's annually or not, I think that's great for the sport and you want to see that. So yeah, I, I agree with you. I'm going to um, say that I love this and say that, you know, just the fact that as you, just what you said, the fact that Texas OU and Texas and Texas A&M will be able to play each other consistently is great for the future of all those programs. And it's great for the sport person, I think too. Well, and I, just to, if you, of course, if you follow along and read the morning brew at horns247.com, you know, I reported this week that the realignment uh, hasn't really changed the timeline yet for Texas to go to the SEC. Um, I'm still hearing 2024, uh, the first year that ESPN will have the broadcast rights for SEC football uh, as being the first year that Texas um, you know, is playing football and all sports in the SEC. Now, if the Big 12 collapses, uh, if the if somehow the Pac-12 ends up, um, you know, luring Big 12 members and the Big 12 collapses, that's another thing because then Texas is free to go uh, in 2023. But it's looking more likely that the Big 12 could be adding some schools from the Pac-12 uh, because the Pac-12 knows that it's it's in a weakened position from a television standpoint if they're solely a West Coast product. If they can get into the middle of the country, they become a much more valuable television product because more eyeballs can see it and then they're not playing you know Pac-12 after dark when yeah. half the country's asleep, Taylor. So. Um, as of right now, I continue to hear Texas and Oklahoma to the SEC in the fall of 2024. But again, let's see where all this realignment uh, shakes out. And, you know, if enough new members come into the Big 12, they might have to rewrite the bylaws. And that also uh, could free Texas and Oklahoma. But uh, as of right now, the, the holdover members want Texas and Oklahoma to pay the the two years of revenue that that it will take for them to leave. Yeah. All right. I don't, I don't blame them either on that one. What's yeah. the total for those, Chip? Yeah. Um, all right. Love it or leave it number two. 
Second one is love it or leave it. Freshman receiver Brennan Thompson will be a breakout player on the Longhorns offense this season. Wow. Wouldn't that be amazing? Um, you know, again, if you follow along at uh, follow the insider at horns 247com Brennan Thompson starting to, it's starting, he's starting to get some of the same praise that Xavier Worthy got last summer uh, going into his freshman season. And, some of the same praise that Isaiah Nair was getting going into the the spring as a guy who, you know, is getting separation against veteran players, uh, catching the football, making plays, playing with a lot of confidence. I don't know if there's room for him to be a breakout player uh, in this 2022 season, Taylor, because I kind of see him and Xavier Worthy in the same role, but. Look, Steve Sarkeesian's going to get his best skill talent on the field, no matter if he's got to sit down some six foot three guys because they're not producing. He'll play the six foot and six foot one guys who are Blazers. And we know Brendan Thompson, who ran a 10 200 at the state track meet, is a Blazer. So I'm going to leave this for right now uh, because I do think they have a clear top three at receiver right now um, in terms of. Xavier Worthy, Jordan Whittington, Isaiah Nayor. But my gosh, you've got a Jai Hall, the other six foot three burner from Alabama, who is mega talented, needs to, you know, clean up some things, does a better job catching the deep ball than he does catching the the short stuff and the crossing routes and that kind of thing. But I'm gonna leave this for right now. But man, the fact that we're even talking about that is is good news for Texas fans. How about you? Yes. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, and I, yeah, I'm going to agree with you too. I think I'm going to leave it and it's not a knock on him. It's the same thing that you're saying, Chip. I mean, where, where does he have the opportunity to be that breakout player? I feel like if he is a breakout player for Texas this season, then that maybe not be, that maybe won't be the best sign for how the receiver position did as a whole, just because of, you know, the experience that is at the position, the guys they brought in. I mean, it's it went from being a, a room full of liabilities to one of the strongest rooms, obviously, on the um, team, considering we're at number three in our countdown and we have not talked about the receiver position yet. So that shows, you know, how much of a change this offseason has had made to that receiver room. And that's a positive change where I feel like if Brennan Thompson at the end of the season, if we're talking about him being the breakout receiver, then I would say that may not be the best case scenario for how the rest of that room played out. Um, and, and again, that's not me trying to knock him or anything. I just think that there's guys that have more solidified their spot, you know, as in the, at least as starters, if not in the too deep, you know, um, he has some, some work to do, but that's perfectly fine. Cause I think it doesn't hurt if he has to play on special teams a bit. I mean, they could use his speed on special teams, you know? And so, um, yeah, I, I, I just, I think he has a lot of potential. I think he has a very high ceiling. I don't think you want to see him be a breakout player at receiver this season, just because I can't imagine that being really a glowing review of how the rest of the guys played. Yeah. All right. Love it or leave it. Number three. All right. Final one. This goes back to the conversation between Steve Sarkeesian and Greg McElroy. Um, love it or leave it. Texas would have won the 2009 national title game against Alabama 
if Colt McCoy had not gotten hurt. Okay, I'm on the record loving this. Um, and it's not even – I mean, yes, you had to have Colt on the field because I know the game plan was to throw it 40 times, primarily Colt McCoy to Jordan Shipley because they felt Alabama's secondary was suspect. Obviously, Alabama's front on defense was a monster with Marcel Darius, the guy who ended up knocking Colt McCoy out of the game. But Texas's defense was a monster. And, and I mean, if you go back to that game, remember Nick Saban attempted a fake punt from his own end of the field in the first quarter, and Blake Gideon intercepted it. Um, I mean, they were... Alabama was like out of character early in that game. And I just feel like Colt McCoy at his best. And we saw some amazing games from Colt McCoy throughout his career um, to Jordan Shipley would have been enough. I mean, I know Trey Newton was the starting running back. The offensive line wasn't glamorous yet. You know, Malcolm Williams at, the other receiver position, it wasn't, I mean, it was sort of a two-man show on offense. And so, yeah, you had to have Colt McCoy out there, but the Texas defense was a monster. I mean, you had Sergio Kendall and Henry Melton and Earl Thomas. And, I mean, you had dudes out there who were, um, you know, wreaking havoc on Greg McElroy. He couldn't do anything through the air. It was all the running game, the Alabama running game, ultimately, that that did Texas in. But remember, they were only down three. Texas was only down three with just under three minutes left in that game. I mean, even with all the craziness, Garrett Gilbert, um, they were only down three with a little less than three minutes left in that game. So, Taylor, I'm going to love this. I know that sounds like homer stuff but i think texas had him i think they had him on the ropes uh if colt mccoy's in that game taylor what say you i'm gonna pull a mac brown quote here it wouldn't have been close <laughs> that's, that's right what I think. that's what mac brown <laughs> said after the game after the game yeah um no I, I i call me a homer all you want i was at that game um you're right. Texas was on the road. I mean, what if I, for anybody that's going to deny this or say we're homers or whatever, what if I told you that Texas held Alabama to 263 total yards of offense in that game? What if I told you that Alabama completed six of 12 passes for 58 yards? I mean, you want to talk about a team that is being absolutely destroyed by a defense, there you go. I mean, that is a national championship game stat line. Texas out, you know, or um, had more yard, more total yards than Alabama in that game. That goes to show how good the Texas defense was really playing because without Cole McCoy on the field, the Texas offense was so limited. And so the fact that they still were able to, you know, put up more yards on a Nick Saban Alabama defense, um, shows that you know if their number one player was in the game there's no doubt there's no there's no doubt in my mind that texas would have won that game and could have won by more than two more than a touchdown i think i think that colt mccoy was that special and clearly he um he was because 
the outcome of that game totally changed when he wasn't in it. However, the fact that Texas, as you mentioned, was still in it, you know, down three with um, three minutes left in that game with a true freshman quarterback who at the time had taken like, I think a total of like 17 snaps in his uh, college career or something like that. I mean, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to feel pretty good about saying that I, I don't like the woulda, coulda, shoulda type of commentary, but there's no doubt in my mind, nobody's going to convince me otherwise that Texas would have not won the national championship had Colt McCoy stayed in that game. And I, I hate to pick scabs here, but this, this also was a glaring like Mac Brown was livid after that game uh, because of how Alabama was able to run the ball and he had been mad at Greg Davis for years they disagreed about how Texas was going to run the football Mac wanted them to be a run first offense play action pass Greg Davis didn't mind throwing to set up the run and and so Mac Brown lost his mind after that game was like we're gonna run the ball no, you should have taken Andrew Luck at quarterback in 2008. Instead of not taking a quarterback, you would have had Andrew Luck with a year under his belt coming in off the bench for Colt McCoy. And then it might have been a different story in that game, but I digress. Remember, Andrew Luck only wanted to look at Notre Dame, Texas, and Stanford because he was an academic guy. Alabama was trying to recruit Andrew Luck like crazy. Texas didn't even offer him. Kids out of Houston Stratford High School. Okay, that's enough. I don't want Didn't even that. talk to him when he came on campus. Right. He came to Texas for a junior day, couldn't get a conversation with a coach. Oliver Luck told me that. So um, it's, uh, it's fascinating, but there you have it. We've, we, we rest. We rest our case on that. All right. Next week on the flagship podcast, of course, we will have the top two positions in our position ranking countdown. We'll also have um, a bunch of Big 12 football media day uh, thoughts, depending on when we decide to record the podcast, Taylor. Yeah, we may um, have to do a few shows next week. Maybe yeah, we we'll might do have one to in do, Dallas. Might have to do a, or Arlington. a regularly scheduled flagship podcast and an emergency podcast coming out of Big 12 football media days. So, yeah. Um, you never know what we're going to throw at you people. <laughs> so just keep subscribing uh, on the Horns 24-7 YouTube channel and wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts like the Flagship Podcast, baby. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. For Taylor Estes, I'm Chip Brown. We'll see you over at Horns247.com until the next time. And until then, stay safe and keep the faith. When you have sports mixed with your pop culture, along with humor and celebrity interviews, your earbuds are enjoying the Rich Eisen Show. Dan Orlovsky, are you still a Jaden Daniels is the best quarterback available in the draft guy? I think the three things that make it stand out for me are, number one, I think his ball placement versus man coverage is the best in the draft. Every quarterback in the NFL is accurate. He's got the best on tape. Number two, most transferable stuff to the NFL. And then I think the third thing is pocket peace. Search for the Rich Eisen Show on YouTube or wherever you listen.